0: Hi, I'm Dr. Bill Whitehead, CEO of Therapy Appointment, a practice management system for mental health professionals. Here today with James Ochoa. James is a licensed professional counselor who specializes in the treatment of ADHD and the support of people who have been uh, diagnosed or self-diagnosed with that difficulty. He has a book, Focus Forward, which I believe is available on Amazon. Is that right, James? Well, welcome to the podcast.
1: Website. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you, Bill. I appreciate that. I'm super happy to be here, always happy to talk about the ADHD spectrum. Uh, it has, uh, it's quite a story tale now in today's world when you say the words ADHD. We get lots of reactions from lots of different arenas, so I'm always happy to give out good information on it.
0: It's true that its it it's a diagnosis that needs no explanation, that everybody knows that term, But how would you define it? I imagine there's also a lot of misinformation.
1: There is a lot of misinformation, and it's set up in a couple of arenas that happen naturally, Bill, unfortunately, in this case, because the, the term attention deficit hyperactivity disorder started out as attention deficit disorder in 1979 with really just a group of doctors who looked at the symptomology, and it had gone from hyperkinetic disorder to attention deficit disorder. Um, so by 19, the early 1990s, we had better research around it, but the name had already really gotten established with it. So it's defined as, uh, I define it as a genetic neurological developmental issue. So genetically it's passed on at at the same rate of hair color, height, and weights in a mild, moderate, severe degree, depending on how the DNA line up at birth, um, Trauma, uh, other learning issues, difficulties in family systems can make the diagnosis worse, but it's not necessarily going to create ADHD out of nothing. Um, And you also have a neurological condition in which you have a left prefrontal cortex and a mid part of the brain regarding the hippocampus where information is relayed for active working memory that is underactive or choppy and chaotic in its operation. And so you have challenges in these neurological areas of executive function and of uh, active working memory process that really show up and hammer individuals' lives. And developmentally, it doesn't go away. So I'm 61. Uh, I've been diagnosed for over 25 years. I've had it my entire life. Um, but I also come to the table with like a closed head injury at four, uh, dysgraphia as a learning disability as well, and I've been in drug and alcohol recovery for 35 years. So, I had a lot of other challenges in my realm. And when we talk about the diagnosis of ADHD and what it is, that term, the last thing I'll say here, the term of ADHD is easily misunderstood because everyone has attention problems from time to time based on circumstances, colds, medical conditions, relationship problems. And so many people feel like, well, everybody's got ADHD. I'm like, no, that's not true. It's only really about three to five percent of the world's population has this tendency uh, to have this neurological developmental uh, issue, and but still, Bill, probably only we think only probably twenty percent of the people who actually have the genetics or the neurology actually know they have it.
0: Oh, many that's are living with
1: it. Yeah, many of them are living with it, or they are living underperforming lives in ways that they've never understood it's but and so the name is highly recognizable but unfortunately i think much of the time people uh, have a misunderstanding of exactly what it is and it's easily dismissed or discounted
0: and you've kind of anticipated my next question uh, which is well as they say you you can't be a little bit pregnant or a little bit dead but you (laughs) You can have ADHD and most other illnesses on a spectrum. And, and so the question becomes, how do you know when you've crossed the line and it's kind of worth treating or worth taking seriously?
1: Sure. And so you're looking at major life areas, first of all. So when we look at diagnostic measures, there's the DSM-5 criteria now that have essentially been the same since 1993. They've had some evolution. We've come really close to creating an adult section of diagnostic criteria it didn't make the cut last time and so we're still using childhood adolescent criteria in the adult realm just with fewer symptoms so out of that 18 criteria you have nine focus concentration challenges and nine hyperactive impulsive issues Uh, you would need to have six out of nine in either area that have affected several major life areas in childhood potentially can show up in adolescence but it doesn't just show up in adulthood so you would have had symptomology so many adults come to diagnosis as an adult but you can see the diagnosis in their childhood you can see that they worked around it or they had challenges with it Um, and so yeah it is it is something that does and so where's the threshold how much is it affecting your major daily life and your areas really reaching potential. When we talk about development, right? If you're not maturing into your adulthood, which is what a lot of what happens with the executive functioning. Many uh, those with ADHD, they don't what looks like mature into adulthood, or they look like they're in a chronic adolescent period of their life regarding underactivity of the prefrontal cortex of executive function. And so uh, it, where, how much is it disrupting your life? And, you again, you have mild, moderate, severe conditions of it. So I have a severe condition. I still run about seven or eight diagnostic measures on both spectrums. So I have a combined type of ADHD, and, but I manage it well. I wouldn't be an expert in the field without it.
0: And management, is a, it's an interesting concept because if I'm hearing you correctly, you know, you say it's a genetic disorder, it's inherited. It uh, th- That implies that you're not going to outgrow it. You're not going to get a new set of genes in adulthood. <laughs> but, of course, th- the lore is that people have this as a childhood issue, and it is sort of outgrown. If I hear you right, you're saying, no, it's really
1: managed. It's managed, and... We do think that there may be a 20, maybe a 30 percent spectrum of adults who grow out of it or grow through it. As we would say, developmentally, it may have been mild symptom. It may have been mild symptomology Uh, because it's a developmental uh, issue of the prefrontal cortex in the center part of the brain. We have kind of a delayed growth perspective that says some adults grow through it or grow into it. Uh, we could also say that symptomology wise, you may have the symptoms and they're not bothering your major life areas anymore. And so I've learned to deal with it because the vast majority of adults, I believe who have it and don't know it, see it as a personality character issue. They set up systems in their life for it. If you're emotionally and mentally healthy, well, you just accept that about yourself, like hair color, height and weight, and you move on with life. But the challenge, and a lot of what, a, much of what I worked around and um, wrote about in Focus Forward, Bill, was the emotional and mental stress that spins off of the disorganization and the chaos that creates this whole other issue. I call it the emotional distress syndrome. So it is a chronic low-grade distress that doesn't go away, and it really, really hammers self-esteem, identity, ability to reach potential. But if you hadn't, if you didn't grow up uh, with developing that, I think mean, I don't. We, I have no idea how many in ADHD have the emotional distress aspects of it. But it's natural. It's a it's a natural chaotic part of it.
0: You know, there's that old saying: "If life gives you lemons, make lemonade." Are there some advantages to ADHD? I've heard some people say, "Well, people with ADHD are more creative, more spontaneous, funnier."
1: Yes. Yes. So if you think about the prefrontal cortex as an orchestra leader, right, uh, of your mind, and it's underactive, I also talk about it as a nearsightedness of the mind, a kind of a blurriness. It doesn't mean I can't do things or get things done. Um, But those with ADHD may very well do something in their life incredibly well that they have passions or interests or natural talents for. The challenge is, the executive functioning of everyday life and other pieces is very cha- very difficult for them. There's not a lot of theories that would show, and there's actually research, there's not a lot of research or any research I'm aware of that shows that creativity is higher in people with ADHD. And some, some of the research has been, it doesn't really pan out. So what is it? We think that if you have an underactive prefrontal cortex, which is for executive functioning to keep yourself grounded in the details of life, and you're not sitting, say, and you're standing up, many people with ADHD can have a higher degree of divergent or higher order thinking. And so they make associations and connections between things. Others might not. They may use hyperactive or impulsive natures in comedy or in certain other arenas to assist them Uh, in athletics or in uh, uh, professional speaking or other kinds of things. And so there can be a lot of skill sets that really do shine with ADHD. I have a little bit of um, a response reaction to the giftedness of ADHD because I think it dismisses, again, the real challenge of the neurological issue which I've been married 33 years, Bill, and my wife could tell you very quickly that I'm still disruptive at times. And it's not fun a lot of times. So I think we miss that if we're talking about the, the uh, gifted aspects. I'm an expert in ADHD. I've done nothing but this as a professional counselor for over 33 years, Bill. That is highly strange and unusual for an LPC. How many LPCs have treated one thing for 33 years? Well, that's my savant kind of crazy uh, passion about it, because it presented so many conundrums 33 years ago that I just were just baffling to me as a young counselor. So that's a lot said there. But <laughs> anyway.
0: I'm going to move to an, another topic. I, you, sure. you of course work in diagnosing or helping people assess the yes. presence of. ADD in adults and in children, as I understand it. Yes, but a, a lot of what you do is support for the, if I can say it, the ADHD community. And mm-hmm. wondering what are what are some of the things that you do in those support sessions, which I guess are individual and group sessions.
1: Um, I mainly do individual work now, but I do have a webinar series called ADHD Town Hall for those diagnosed. And I say those living adjacent lives to ADHD, friends, spouses, uh, co-workers, you name it. Because if someone truly has the diagnosis and the condition, it's disruptive to those around them in the relationship. And so the community support comes from educating and awareness about what this really is. Also, ability to work with the individual who has the condition so that they're more compassionate or understanding or considerate or strategic in their measures on how they work together. Uh, Like I'll talk with couples and tell them to create uh, what I call couples business meetings, which are kind of executive functioning meetings to kind of go over everything that's going on in someone's life so that things don't become too chaotic or disorganized. So some of these symptoms or systems, Bill, are very simplistic that I help the community or understand people to set up. But it's I I call that almost the elementary kindergarten rule. It's like things seem really simple, but it's an executive functioning under activity that just doesn't make the connection it could. And so routine, monotonous, ongoing uh, activities and strategies become horribly difficult for someone with ADHD because their mind just doesn't plan or prioritize or evaluate as well as it could. It's not that it doesn't do it at all, okay? It's that it does it in fits and starts. Sometimes works well, sometimes doesn't. But if you don't understand that inconsistency, it can be crazy-making.
0: You know, there's some difficulties that I think are pretty common in people with ADHD, keeping up with keys and wallets and phones. Right. uh, Blurting out... uh, a joke that's inappropriate for the uh, <laughs> yes. the people that right. are right in front of them. Exactly. Um, are, are you coaching on little things like that? Like, here's how to keep up with your keys. Here's how to sure. decide whether yep. uh, whether yep. the joke is a good one to tell in this setting.
1: Yes, and you know, um, a couple of telling issues there. One, early on in my career, say 20, 25 years ago, uh, strategies and organizational measures interestingly enough, came out of a linear world, so to speak, that people who didn't have ADHD were designing these kind of ideas and strategies. Good ideas and good work, but people with ADHD many times had a difficulty employing them. Okay? Because they don't they're not interesting, they don't stay connected to them. And that was a very frustrating process early in my career. Strategically now, I work with people on very minute, very, very minutiae uh, pieces many times but they have to be personalized. They have to be very unique to the individual in a way that makes sense to them. Even the best strategy that I can create, even for myself, we still may have a cyclical nature of it becoming consistently inconsistent. It just stops working. It falls off my schedule. I get something happens and changes and I can't get back to it. In those cases, I always tell people it doesn't really work well to try to put more energy back into the strategy to try to get it going again. That's very, once something's turned off for someone with ADHD, it's difficult to get restarted. You generally reset it. You reorient it. You change it a little bit so that it's got a different interest or a different intrigue to kind of grab your attention. Uh, But no, I mean, I worked with one woman. I talk about this in Focus Four, She would put her keys in a bowl in the middle of the stove. People are like, why in the middle of stuff? Because she cooked every morning. She made breakfast for her kids and she knew where her keys were going to be. And her family thought, OK, just leave the keys there. It looks strange to everyone else, but mom knows where her keys are when we're leaving the house. So something like that. Yes, I work very, very minutely on strategies for people to, to help with the ADHD diagnosis.
0: I'd imagine that another universal is kind of self-esteem issues, as people mm-hmm. have been, uh, you know, criticized. Uh, right. I recall in childhood, they always referred me as the boy with ants in his pants, that I <laughs> <laughs> couldn't sit still in in right, class, right. and they right. had... Very creative solutions like spank him, and that'll make him pay attention, which, of course, didn't work terribly well. Exactly. Makes it, (laughs) yes. So self-esteem issues pretty common? Yeah.
1: Very common self-esteem and self-identity, meaning I don't really know where I fit in the world. I don't know how I operate. I don't know what I'm good at. That's self-identity. Self-esteem is how do I value myself? Do I feel good about who I am and how I connect with people? But this is where my life's work really came into play bill Um, so in my determination of the term emotional distress syndrome that is the mental and emotional stress that spins off of this condition just from the neurological chaos or from the reaction reactivity or the disruption that someone has to put up with in their life as a result of it the not understanding by others so they're overly criticized or overly disciplined in different ways. That becomes bullying or becomes trauma in some form. So to me, the emotional distress syndrome of ADHD is wasn't is it's what wasn't going away in the treatment. Bill, I had more failures than you could imagine in my first twenty years about this emotional and mental stress, and it wasn't until about two thousand and three that I started writing about it and using things like imagination, creativity, different ways of thinking outside the box that you had to build an internal reservoir or resonance for someone with ADHD because we know one of the factors in the executive functioning of the brain that is underdeveloped and that doesn't develop is the internal evaluator for someone with ADHD. So that's going to set up a lot of chaos and and difficulty, but it's also going to set up someone not developing a strong sense of self internally. So I help people go back and create those for themselves in a way they use imagination, we use meditations or mindfulness, but it's a way that you go about circumventing the the challenge. So are self-esteem and self-identity issues problematic? Horrifically so, unfortunately. Um- I have two examples. Uh, one gentleman is 33, 34 years old. I'd worked with him when, since he was like eight years old up to about 21. I do more mentoring with him now. He's very successful in the film industry out in California. and the other one is my oldest son, Gabe, who is mentioned in my book, uh, who has a hyperactive impulsive aspect of ADHD. So I didn't mention in the diagnosis that you have hyperactive impulsive, inattentive, and, and combined. Hyperactive impulsive is 5% of the 3% to 5% of the world's population. Inattentive is 10%. Combined type is 85% of the diagnostic pool. So my oldest son, mental level brilliant, computer engineer in Brooklyn, New York, very good at what he does, did not grow up with high emotional and mental distress, has a pretty good self-esteem, but still they have challenges with esteem and identity because of the stress of the condition. So we have factors that can create it. Even if you were raised in a healthy environment, you're still gonna go through what I call ADHD storms. You're still gonna go through these periods of, it's crazy that even for me at 61 and having dealt with this as much as I have as an expert, I still have a significant level of an imposter syndrome. Something shows up and I immediately start questioning myself and I just, it's like, it's really funny. Um, it's challenging for two or three minutes. I can usually get it to wash out pretty quickly, but it still happens because of how neurologically how my mind reacts to something. So pretty big answer on the self-esteem and identity, but huge component on how we get to treating it and managing
0: it. You know, some people may be reluctant to get evaluated for ADHD or Mm -hmm. even more commonly get their children evaluated for ADHD because they think, well, then they're going to put them on stimulant medication and I'm uncomfortable with that. I've heard bad Mm -hmm. things about it.
1: Mm -hmm. Can
0: can you talk about the stimulant medications and, you know, do they work and what are any risk factors?
1: Sure. And I'll also talk about the diagnostics there because if I put the simplicity to this, if you believe your child has attention issues or you believe you have attention issues as an adult, that you have patterns on the ADHD spectrum or symptoms that are not going away and that have interrupted your life, if you had blurry vision, would you not go to an optometrist or a doctor and get evaluated? It's really that simple, Bill. It's just misunderstood with how we see it. And so the evaluation, someone brings their child in, adolescent in, okay, they don't have ADHD why would they have even brought them in? Okay. Because something was going on developmentally that was out of sync. It might be a mild learning issue. It might be self-esteem. This child might have been bullied. Who knows? But you're trying to course correct something that someone is evaluating isn't working very well in this individual's life. So diagnostics and evaluation to me are critically necessary. How do we do those? Well, We have a DSM-5 criteria that is very well structured, okay? Looking through someone's clinical life history for the patterns that are repeating and not going away are the simplistics of it. In some ways, we've complicated that with full psychological evaluations as being a, a way to go about this. That certainly can diagnose ADHD and can come up with some very good information. But many times it's too complicated for people with ADHD or not affordable. And so I'm unusual in that I'm a master's level clinician doing diagnostics. Okay. It's typically coming from PhDs or MDs, okay, psychiatrists or some primary care physicians will do it. I've been very specifically trained because I use an interactive educational way of evaluating someone. I want you to understand your life and how you got here and if this is working or not. Um, And I see clients, and not all my clients I get that come into my practice have ADHD. You know, it may be anxiety, it may be learning issues. So the diagnostics are important, but if ADHD is really there, medication can be enormously helpful. Yes, medication has gotten a huge disruption in the public eye because it is an abusable substance. So is Xanax. So are pain medications. So they need to be controlled. I don't have any issue with that. But it helps the prefrontal cortex to consistently operate in a way that it's unable to operate on its own. And the reality is, if you course correct that with medication that's well uh, managed and understood, it's like putting on eyeglasses for the mind. I'll just refer to myself, which is what I do authentically as a leader. For the first 25 years of my life or my diagnosis, I did not use stimulant medication. I used energy drinks, caffeine, exercise, intensity, waiting till the last minute, adrenaline dumps. Those things are horrifically difficult on the body. I find because of my addiction history, I was not going to go after stimulant medications. And that was one of the things I abused. Well, as a side note, Addictions are about 30% higher risk in those with ADHD because of the disruptive nature and trying to seek something to help it. I fell into that problem, and I I talk about that some in Focus Forward. I finally uh, sought the help of my supervising psychiatrist 10 years ago now. I'm on a very low level of a stimulant medication. I can barely feel it in the morning. It doesn't activate my addictive response to things but it stabilizes my thinking. I've produced a book. I've produced podcasts. I've done things now that were much more chaotic before. And so if you're using medication effectively, but I'm still someone who says, Bill, medication can be helpful. It's a tool. I still only think it's 15% of the intervention. You've got education. You've got strategies. You've got mindfulness. You've got all these other pieces that really need to help someone center there's another really long answer on the medication piece, but there's so much in here that I could talk about obviously for weeks, but hopefully that helps some.
0: And and clearly we could keep talking for, I suspect, hours and hours. <laughs> it's been fascinating to hear your uh, your comments on this. I've learned a lot, yeah. uh, but, Good. but we are about out of time. I do want Go to ahead. mention or give you an opportunity to mention you have, I think, a podcast, you have webinars. Can you uh, yeah. put a plug-in for yourself on those.
1: Yeah, I'd be happy to. So everything is under jamesochoa.com. <clears throat> I call myself the ADHD Pathfinder now, finding pathways through people's ADHD. Um, and I have a podcast that is free to get to that has two seasons called The Complex. It's a it is a very funny radio narrative theater about ADHD. Uh, and what it looks like in its different forms, Um, and we've received really good feedback on that. I'm also doing a webinar series called ADHD Town Hall, where people, uh, it's a Zoom uh, setting where everyone either has ADHD or is affected by it, but it's an hour-long time to come in and ask me your hardest questions about it and things that are difficult. It's not necessarily treatment, but it's direction and understanding and education and information. So many people can't get to that. Um, I've also just launched what's called professional trailblazing, how to treat ADHD from a therapist coach's point of view. So I'm now training other therapists and coaches and those interested in my model uh, and really everything I know over 33 years. And that's professional trailblazing. A New Roadmap for Treating Adults with ADHD, and that's a 12-week course. Um, I have lots of things. I love coming on podcasts and talking about this, and there's a lot of information I have out there, and I really encourage people to go and find it. But it can all be found under my website at jamesochoa.com. All right. And certainly the certainly the book I, t- I wrote, Focus Forward, as you said earlier, that's been a mainstay for me since 2016. I do think there's a second book in me. Uh, And so I'm working on a second book as well.
0: All right. Well, thank you again for your time today. It's been very illuminating. Thanks
1: again. Well, I really appreciate your uh, bringing this to the forefront, Bill, and doing a podcast on it. Thanks so much.